You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton, Dylan Terriman, and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us tonight. Uh, it'll be myself and Alex Varallo for the time being. Uh, I've got a little situation here in England that I may have to bail at some point during the show, but I wanted to uh, try to be here because, as it turns out, uh, Dylan had a little injury at work. So Dylan is uh, waiting to be seen by a doc for a leg injury. Uh, might have to be on IR for the week or two. And... Uh, I figured I can try to call in and, and talk some draft, Alex. It finally, finally happened. The Jets finally, you know, after the, the weeks and months and what felt like years of talking and speculating, and the Jets, they go into uh, Cleveland. They, they did what so many of us had anticipated in taking Zach Wilson with the second overall pick out of BYU. They then surprised some people that I was shocked uh, when they traded up and got Elijah Vera Tucker, and we'll, we'll go through the picks. We'll probably just cover the offensive guys tonight. We'll, 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 we'll you know, name the whole class, touch very briefly on each guy, but we're not really going to go in-depth on any of the defensive guys or the undrafted free agents, um, not, not at this time anyway. So, Alex, how are we doing? How are you feeling about this draft, other than I'm sure being relieved that it's finally behind us? Yes, um, absolutely. I'm glad that we can put this, you know, uh, behind us. We finally got our picks in. Um, the the civil war that seems like was was being uh, created throughout the off season on, you know, whose quarterback, you know, or which quarterback should the Jets draft. You know, there was a pretty, I don't know if you would say even divide amongst the fan base. Um, I'm probably part of the one or two percent on the Trey Trey Lance, uh, you know, uh, fan bus. But um, you know, we we finally got it done. Um, you know, as all the media pundits said, and Steve Young had uh, told us a few weeks ago, um, Zach Wilson was the guy, and you know that's the card that they turned in. So I'm I'm glad that the Jets went ahead and. Um, got who they feel confident with that they can move forward with. And, uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, uh, man, it, 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 if I had to wait another week, uh, for this draft to come, um, oh. I don't know if I, if I would have made it, you know what I mean? This whole, uh, put my, put myself into an induced coma so that I could just wake up on draft day might've actually, actually happened if I had to wait any more time. Yeah, it was really brutal. And, you know, I had a thought earlier, I don't know if you saw, I tweeted it out, um, and, you know, we'll probably get into this at some point during the off season as well. Uh, but I thought back to the comment that Dan Orlovsky made when Sam Darnold was traded. Um, and Orlovsky, listen, Orlovsky is a huge Darnold guy. So he's, you know, he, he was bound to say something positive about Sam on his way out the door. And he said, but this is one that I have a hard time arguing with. He said, look, Sam Darnold is going to go to Carolina, and for the first time in his career, he's going to be surrounded by an NFL-caliber coaching staff or something along those lines. He said, this is the first time in his career Sam Darnold is going to be coached. And I thought, you know what? That, that doesn't apply just to Sam. So as excited as we are about this year's draft class already, I'm, I'm looking at last year's class, and I'm like, you know what? I can't. Any player that underperformed last year or couldn't get on the field, I can't hold that against the player. We know, we know I'm a big Cam Clark guy, and people have said to me, well, he didn't even get on the field. I say, listen, you had a head coach who started the worst running back on his roster every week. Like, the guy didn't have any brains. I'm not going to look at a player and say, well, you couldn't make the lineup. Just because you weren't playing under Adam Gase doesn't mean you weren't the best guy or good enough to be on the field. So I'm excited about last year's class all over again as I think about the fact that if Robert Sala is the real deal and LaFleur is the real deal, like they're going to have coaches coaching these guys who were kind of probably just wandering aimlessly last year as they tried to adapt to the NFL. But listen, the Jets last year or the Jets last week, they take Zach Wilson. 
a trade-up for Elijah Vera Tucker, which, which I found shocking. Um, I, just, I really expected them to make some more moves, uh, to move down, as I said in the mocks. Elijah Moore then goes 34, uh, wide receiver. Then Michael Carter, the running back out of UNC. And i got to tell you, Alex, um, as much mm-hmm. as I, I, I waved the Kenneth Gainwell flag for the last several months, um, mm-hmm. in the literally the night, you know, when, when day one ended and we knew who was still on the board, I went back and watched some of these guys. And I'm not, I'm not saying I don't like Gainwell. Obviously, I'm a huge fan. And I'm not saying I didn't mm-hmm. want him there. I would have loved him with that pick. That was, that was my, that was, my heart wanted him. But the more I yep. watched of Carter, and I, I can't put my finger on it. I'm not going to say exactly what it was because I don't know exactly what it was. But just the more I watched of him, Actually, I do know one one aspect of it, but I was just like, he just looks more like an NFL running back to me than Kenneth Gainwell does. Mm. And I and I you know I said a million times, part of the reason I love Gainwell so much is because he was a legitimate wide receiver. If you line them up out there, um, which is great, what, right. what a great weapon to have. But if you're not going to use a guy in that role or not that often, um, then a guy like Carter is a better fit. And you know I said I remember God during the season. I got a message from a buddy of mine, a big NC State fan, and he said, hey, uh, watch this NC State player today. They're playing North Carolina. So I watched the game, and by the third quarter I message him, and I'm, you know, he's watching the NC State guys, and I'm like, who are these running backs for North Carolina? Because both these guys look like they can go in the first round. Um, so, listen, like both yeah. players a lot, Gainwell and Carter, that the Jets go with Carter. Um, and, and, you know, the one thing, you know, he's, you know, he's not Jerome Bettis. But that one area where I felt like he stood out above Gainwell, uh, Gainwell is, wasn't a move-the-pile guy as much as Carter was. And again, neither of them, I wouldn't consider it a strong suit for either guy. Um, and I apologize if my audio is a little bit weird today. Uh, as I said, I've got some stuff going on, so I'm, I'm actually using a phone instead of my normal mic because I might have to drop and go. But um, there was more, like I, I saw a few, I went back and watched some Gainwell and there were a few plays where he just, just crumbled on contact at the line. And I thought, God, you can't really have that. Like, there's got to be some, like, yeah. over the shoulder and move the pile a little bit. And I think that was the start, it, the start of, like, going from Gainwell, then watching Carter. And that's when I was like, he just looks more like an NFL back. Um, so, again, very happy with the pick. And then, as we know, yep. four picks to kick things off. And then it was all defense from there on out. Like we said, we'll, get, we'll cover mostly offense. But they went Jamie mm-hmm. and Sherwood, the safety from Auburn, who some feel they'll move to linebacker. Michael Carter again, which was a, a funny moment. I thought I misread the tweets that they were coming out. I thought, oh, somebody screwed up. Yep. They've retweeted the same thing from the last guy. Uh, but the corner from Duke. Uh, then they went with Jason Pinnock out of Pitt. Uh, Hamza Nazadeen, who we talked about briefly. Um, I'm, we're going to mm-hmm. have fun talking about him next show when we go over the defense because I think we both really like his game. Brandon Eccles out of Kentucky, oh, yeah. and then Jonathan Marshall out of uh, Arkansas, who I'll tell you what, outside of, uh, outside of Zach Wilson, that guy might be my favorite pick from what I've watched of him so far. We're not going to go in depth, but Jesus, was that guy, I mean, I'm, I'm just like, how did this guy not go sooner? Um, freak athlete. Um, and then real quick, the UDFAs, Chris, uh, they, they went with Yaboa, who I mentioned a few times leading up to the draft, uh, and actually had him as, I think I had him in one of my, one of my mocks. Uh, that's Kenny Yabo out of Mississippi. Uh, Hamilcar Rush, Rashid or Rashed. I don't. I don't know what his deal was. I actually tweeted out to a few Oregon State writers, um, or I tagged Oregon State like m- a couple months ago, and I was like, "Does anyone like? Can anyone give me some intel on this guy? Why did he go from 14 and a half sacks two years ago to zero this year? Like, that's an interesting player to me, because there were those who said if he had come out last year, he'd have been a first or second round pick." And then he goes undrafted after zero sacks. Jets pick him up. Obviously, very interesting guy. Tristan Hoge out of BYU. We talked about the possibility of bringing him along. If you were going to take Zach Wilson, his center from college, makes sense. Uh, Teton Salters or Sailors. Uh, New Mexico State offensive lineman. I've watched two of his games now. No, sorry, three. I watched I watched them against Notre Dame. Watched them against Ohio. No, not, uh, Alabama. And then another small school, I forget which one, uh, looked, looked, had his moments against Notre Dame where he looked really good. Uh, against Alabama, he looked terrible. But A, it's Alabama. And B, I noticed 
three or four times where he looked like he was he was limping between plays. So I don't know if he was playing that game injured, uh, which only makes it that much tougher. Um, Isaiah Dunn, corner out of Oregon State. Uh, the interesting things here, Yaboa and Dunn both got huge signing bonuses um, in terms of undrafted free agents. Those guys generally get like twenty, thirty grand. Yaboa and Dunn both got a couple hundred thousand. So the Jets clearly like them a lot. Uh, Chris Nugar, uh, kicker out of SMU. Uh, Mustafa Johnson, have you heard anything on him, Alex? Um, you know, to be honest with you, I haven't done any deep dive into the UDFAs yet. Um, yeah, just, kind just of working on the uh, yeah, defensive guys. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I didn't mean in terms of, like, how much you've looked at them. I just, he's a name I saw pop up today on a few different sites or tweets saying the Jets signed him. Um, but then everything I was finding out that said he was working out for them. Anyway, D. Lyman out of Colorado. Uh, Michael Dunford out of Rutgers. Milo Leifler out of Illinois who I watched before the draft, and he was a he, he had these highlight hits, these Ronnie Lott-type hits. Um, but honestly, just they were fun to watch, but when I went to look, up, look and watch some of his games, he just didn't do a whole lot. But he looks like he could be a monster on special teams. Um, Garrett Hermans, who I watched before the draft, I don't see that guy making a roster. I mean, he, he, just, he looks like his body doesn't fit. He, or he, look, he looks like that awkward teenager who, like, you know, tripping and just doesn't know. He's huge. He's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, but he just looks awkward out there. Uh, Jordan Peters out of Auburn and Brandon White out of Rutgers. So that's it. That's the, those are the UDFAs. Talked about the picks. Um, so, Alex, we're going to cover the offense tonight. Give us your thoughts. Uh, just a, a, an overview of the approach, and then we'll go through it player by player and, and be a little bit more specific. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, obviously uh, we've talked about Zach Wilson at length and, um, you know, that I think that where this offense is going to go and where things are going to go, I think that his intangibles uh, will create a lot of, I think, exciting offensive plays. Um, you know, in, in years past we've seen a very, very vanilla, not very exciting style of, uh, offensive scheme, so you know we really don't know how this whole thing's going to unravel, unfold. It's majority of it's speculation, but I really, really like the, I guess, trying to foresee you know the things that we might be getting into and the concepts that we might be running and um, projecting the style of productivity that we might see from players like an Elijah Moore and you know how. You know, will this help Corey Davis finally become um, that number one or that first-round grade that, you know, he's been labeled with? Um, Because, you know, some people seem to think he hasn't lived up to his uh, status, you know, as a number six overall pick or number five overall pick, wherever he went. Uh, So, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really intrigued to see exactly where we can go with this whole thing. Um I think the Jets are finally doing their diligence and in, in putting pieces together for the young man. Um, you know, one of the things that I talked about, you know, week in and week out was giving themselves the opportunity to go a little bit deeper and earlier into the offensive positions and the draft and focus free agency on getting the players that you know will be able to uh, – you know, instill Robert Sala's defense. Because if you put a bunch of rookies into there that aren't really familiar with terminology and they don't really have the football IQ that's needed, um, you know, those little mistakes on there turn into touchdowns. And you really can't have inexperienced guys in in a difficult style of defense, especially one where you're constantly transitioning from zone to man to this and that. So I liked the approach – you know, I'm patting myself on the shoulder here because this is exactly what I wanted. Um, and, yeah, I'm excited to see that we finally went ahead and addressed a huge, huge thing that we haven't done in years past, which is invest into the offensive line early and get some serious playmakers that, you know, will help our quarterback, um, you know, make those big plays that we've been missing for the last few years. So i um, very, very happy with uh, – you know, where we're headed at this point with Zach Wilson. Yeah, I think the, uh, I think the overall approach 
was good. As you know, it, it's not rocket science. It's it's one of those things where, you know, and, and as I've said, I, I've fessed up. I I was way too supportive of Mike McAgnan for far too long. Um, I you know I was I kind of took the approach or the thought process that you know, I really thought the guy would eventually started investing in the O line, um, but it did get to a point, and I'm and I'm convinced that's what got him fired. Um, you just had running backs had no room to run, quarterbacks had no time to throw, and he just wouldn't draft an old lineman. You know, and I remember the rumors. I think it was his first draft. It was his first draft when uh when Laramie Tunzel was falling on draft night, and there were rumors from a few places that the Jets tried to trade up and get Tunzel. It didn't work out, obviously, but that kind of had me thinking. Okay, this guy values O line, but he's not going to pick a guy unless he really feels like he's worth it. And you know he's gonna he'll get he'll get stopgap guys until he knows you know like I can kind of live with that, but it just wasn't happening year after year. He wasn't signing guys. He wasn't bringing in quality guys. Um, and I defended it as long as I could. But listen, when he got fired, I just kind of thought this this guy you can't ignore the O line that long and, and still keep your job. And aside from that, all the other picks suck too. But um, but listen, um, you know I, after they drafted Elijah Moore, um, I just found myself saying. It's not that hard. Like, yeah, these guys might bust, but why not just surround your guy with players that can help him instead of drafting yeah. Nathan Shepard, who I like, nice guy, good player, nice rotational guy. I don't mind him, but, like, why wasn't that an offensive lineman in that spot? You know what I mean? So the fact that we're finally – Not a third-round it's, pick. It's one of those things where you say it's, you know, it, it's obvious, but teams don't always do the things that seem so obvious. You know, like – Getting a quarterback and building around him to make sure he's he's he's, he's protected. Um, you know, I don't know how I felt honestly the, with the trade up. I like I I love getting Elijah Vera Tucker. He's a guy we talked about very little leading up to it, and yeah. and you know before the draft, I looked at there were a lot of players I liked a lot, but I just felt like this guy is not going to be a Jet. Like for where he's projected and where they're picking and what their needs are. Like I, I right. love Nico Collins, love them, but I don't. Might have mentioned him once on a show. I don't think I mocked him to the Jets. Didn't really discuss him on the show that much, because I'm just like he's gonna go in a range where they're gonna be targeting O line or or corner. So I just in my mind it was like it was not gonna happen. Um, and so for that, that's why I didn't watch a lot of Elijah Moore to be honest. I, I you know I had a couple clips right. that I pulled of him because I was watching. So I think it was actually while I was watching Kenny Yaboa. I pulled some some nice plays that Moore made, and I thought, yeah, good player. But I think, like in my mind, I was convinced it was going to be quarterback, corner, O line, or edge with those first four picks, and that was it. Like I, I was, that's why I was looking at the mid and late round receivers and other and other things. So I hadn't watched a lot of Moore, and, and when they made the pick, I thought, ah, oh, I remember watching him, but I really preferred that they had used that on a bigger need. Like I would have loved Tevin Jenkins in that spot. Um. But well, right. was he got with the, it was twenty three where they could have gotten Jenkins, or well, they could have also gotten him with thirty four. But either way, I was like, ah, I yeah, he was available. Him. I remember liking him, and then I went back and watched him again, and I was like, okay, now now I get it. Like now I see why you took this guy. Um, like I said, I was hyper focused on O line, edge, corner, and wasn't looking at receivers at thirty four. Um, you know, I said if some of the top guys fell. But I, I hadn't watched much of more, and he was a top guy who I just I hadn't paid enough attention to. Um, and I've spoken to some other people who kind of said the same thing, like, yeah, you know, we were aware of him, but wasn't really looking at him that closely. And then you watch him, you watch these videos, these these clips of these routes that he's running, and he, he just has guys falling over themselves. And then you look at his numbers; he's, he's got like more 200-yard games than he has 100-yard games, or what, or whatever it is, or more right. games over 200 <laughs> than games under 100. It's just his, his stats were astronomical, in a tough conference, um, and I'm just, I couldn't be happier with the pick at this point. Uh, Michael Carter, as I said, a guy that I watched literally the night before they took him because, you know, looking at those possibilities at two, um, and listen, there is a part of me that says, I wish they'd stayed put, I wish they'd taken, you know, you don't get AVT at 14, you get Jenkins or, or you know, someone else at 23 or 34, and then you still have those third rounders and it's a few more picks, I get it. But look, maybe the Jets are looking at it that, uh, like, I wondered, did, did they do that? Were the Jets worried that the Pats might grab AVT to replace Joe Thune? And that's why the Jets leapfrog the Pats. And then, you know, maybe the Pats take a Kellen Mond or another quarterback like that later in the draft. I don't know. 
But whatever the re, whatever, why ever they did it, the Jets felt the need to jump ahead of the Patriots, who just lost an all-world guard um, in order to draft an all-world guard who has that tackle versatility, which you love. And I, you know, I've, I've said it on here and I've tweeted it a million times. Ideal scenario for me was O-linemen who can play interior and be a legit player on the outside too, if the need arises. So, I love the philosophy. I love surrounding Wilson with with weapons. I love the teaming of of AVT with Becton. And I really feel, Alex, and and like I said earlier, and we know I'm I'm a a Cam Clark guy, and I said it during the draft. I said if the Jets don't take another offensive lineman, that tells me that Cam Clark's going to start at right guard. Or at least he's going to have a really good shot to start at right guard because there were good players available, and they just took Clark last year in the fourth round. You know, we we get so obsessed with draft picks that sometimes we just feel like, the shiny new toy, the guy we're getting this year, is automatically better than the guy who was picked last year because that guy's old news. It's not fun to talk about. We've already talked about that guy. But I think Cam Clark, by them not taking a guard, I don't think they're going into the season saying GVR is our starter. I think Clark has a shot to win that job. Um, But what, what were your thoughts on them only taking one offensive lineman given the fact that so many of us expected them to take multiple? Yeah, I think, you know, that's something that I think I had mentioned last year, um, I mean, last week, uh, was that, you know, being that Joe Douglas was a, you know, previous lineman and, you know, that's his forte and, you know, he has a, I guess, an eye for that level of talent with the experience and everything like that. And we didn't see as many picks as we thought last year. And, and yet again, here we are to where he only goes for one big ticket offensive lineman and then, um stayed with the theme of offense for two days and then just completely flipped to the other side of the ball on the other, which is quite comical because, uh, you know, as we were talking about the other day in our group chat, I was pretty shocked that they didn't kick the tires on Deontay Brown, who, like, slid to the sixth round. And, um, yeah, I get it. I mean, the guy is easily the biggest and not, you know, um, muscular-wise. You know, he's got a lot of – you know, BMI, we'll just say, because I want to be, you know, somewhat nice to, to this guy because I shouldn't be throwing, um, you know, stones at, at other, you know, professional athletes like this. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was a little bizarre, only one pick. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because I was mulling it over the next day, and I'm, I'm happy for the Jets because they prioritize a position of need on the offensive line. They went out and they got what they felt was the best player available um, in in the rankings category for for interior offensive linemen, or maybe just overall um, as an offensive lineman, because we're anticipating that he plays left guard, and last year he played left tackle, and it was the 2019 season in which Elijah Barrett Tucker had played uh, guard. So he has experience and um, he has versatility. So in the event that something happens to another tackle, maybe he moves over. And, uh, you know, that, that keeps your offensive, I guess, strength um, more intact, having a player that can plug and play in a different spot. But uh, it did seem kind of odd, you know, on after Thursday night, you know, Friday, you know, looking at the way that this board is looking, there's plenty of interior offensive linemen that we can grab in round two, possibly round three, that we could easily start over an Alex Lewis or a GVR. And that's kind of where I thought that we would go. But, um, you know, I can't knock this team for doing something that I've, I've constantly said in the past, which is if you want to improve this roster, if you want to be competitive, you have to be aggressive in some sort of manner with either the way you handle your trades, the way you handle your free agents, the way you handle your contracts, or, you know, prioritizing players in the draft and using draft capital, um, whatever way you can to get up and grab those guys. So, you know, playing Monday morning quarterback and saying, well, you know, we could have had, you know, player X, Y, and Z at the the third round picks. Uh, We don't know, you know, hypothetically if those players would work out for us. So it's all speculation. And if Elijah Vera Tucker ends up being a pro bowl guard, and becomes a dynamic duo next to Makai Becton, you know, no one's going to think twice about the move that we made or the compensation that we gave up to move up to, to spot 14. So, um, 
we'll see how this all plays out. I think it's all going to work out in the long run. And, um, you know, we'll, we can move over to the Elijah Moore pick here. That I was really, really shocked about, um, to be honest with you, Glenn. Uh, I kind of figured with the Juju Smith-Schuster speculation and how the Jets were, you know, rumored um, that maybe Crowder's days were numbered and they were looking to replace him with someone younger. But then they go ahead and um, they bring in Elijah Moore, and now I'm wondering, okay, maybe they're still thinking about parting ways from Jamison Crowder because I didn't have receiver as a top priority in the early rounds for this team. I was expecting them to take a flyer from round four to round six. So very interesting how this Elijah Moore, apparently from what we had heard from Joe Douglas's conversation with him, is I wasn't going to pass on you again was something that he had said. And it's interesting because you're clearly not going to take him at two. You moved up at four to 14. So I'm assuming he, they were thinking about pulling the trigger for Elijah Moore there. But Elijah Barrett Tucker was a bigger need. But in my mind, I'm thinking that Elijah, I mean, Elijah Moore might have been the pick at 23 all along. So, yeah, I, I think again, I, the Douglas, way I interpreted that, yeah. the way I interpreted that was Joe Douglas saying, if ABT had been off the board and they stayed at twenty three, they would have taken him. But by trading up, they missed an opportunity to grab him. So he's saying we weren't going to let that happen a second time. Um, right, right. And I think I saw it reported. So they really had him high on the board. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they said they said was it Douglas who said the all three guys. They had on their board all the top three guys they got were all in their top seventeen or twenty or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but listen, I mean, you know, every team's board's different. Every team's every team exactly. does the same thing every year about all their guys. This is the guy we wanted. Couldn't believe he was still there. Such a steal. Everyone in the room was so shocked. Blah blah blah. You know. But in this particular case, it's it's believable in that AVT was on many. You know. Like Landon Dickerson may have been the top-rated guy on a lot of boards, but the, the injuries knock him down. Right? So in terms of the guy you would most want, I think Daniel Jeremiah said um, AVT to him is the safest, cleanest pick in this draft. Like the one guy you look at and say, he's going to work out. Doesn't mean he will. Right. He might not. Right. Right. You know, yeah. we've, we know his Jets fans, man, is, and, and every, every fan base. We've so heard it their all. Their share of bust. <laughs> you have those guys that you look at and say, how did that guy not make it? Um, and, you know, I, we, I said a few weeks ago, I want to read the book or write the book. I want to know what the hell happens with these guys. What, what's the most common reason? You know, is it the fact that he's never been – that, you know, a guy, a guy lines up in the NFL and he's never been hit in the mouth by a grown man, you know, somebody twice as good as him, and it, it makes him rethink his, his life choices the first time it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm sure in some cases it's the money. You know, guys, they're willing to work and work and work and work and – yeah, sure, I could keep working and make $100 million, but I'm cool with four. You know, I'm good. Four million, see ya. You know, I'm stop working out and not show up to practice and stuff. You know, Jamarcus Russell, he got that job. I mean, that's, that's a hilarious but at the same time pathetic story with the, with the film. You know, the Raiders are sending him home with blank, blank game film and coming in and asking him what he saw, and he's telling them, oh, yeah, on this play they did this and that play they did that. Like, that guy decided, I've got – Tens of millions in the bank. I'm good. I don't. I don't need to work anymore, and I'm not going to. And you can't project that. So yeah, of course anyone yeah. can bust. But uh, as I said, Daniel Jeremiah feels that AVT is the safest pick in the class. And I'll tell you what, man. If he pans out, him next to Mackay Beck, and I was watching. I think sometimes, again, especially with the Jets, they've been so bad for so long. I know at least for me, like sometimes, like the season ends, and you even forget the things that were good. Because you're like, Jesus Christ, thank God that season is over. Like, I just want to forget the whole thing. I forget what it was the other day. It made me look it up. <clears throat> I was looking at some of the, uh, you know, those great Baldy breakdowns that Brian Baldinger does uh, with Makai Becton. And some of these pl- – I'm watching. I'm like, I just – obviously, I'm well aware of the fact that the guy is awesome. But I just forgot, like, how, how many times he just made it look easy, pushing guys out of the way. And uh, – I'm like, Jesus, if Elijah Vera Tucker's any good, and he's playing next to this dude, like, you know, I, I think someone said it the other day, it might have been on uh, Jeremiah's podcast, or, or I forget who said it. They said it, 
these two are good enough. You can tell the defense you're doing it. You, hey, guys, this next play is going behind these two. You're still not going to be able to stop it. They're just that, they, you know, Becton is that powerful, and Vera Tucker is that highly thought of. I think the, uh, the comparison I heard was uh, Walter Jones and Steve Hutchinson in Seattle. That was a, those are two Hall of Famers that played side-by-side side and blocked for years for Sean Alexander. And you knew it was coming, but you couldn't stop it. And, listen, if the Jets have put themselves in that position, um, and, again, by adding Michael Carter, um, and, and, listen, I'm not – I've said it before, I'm a big Ty Johnson guy. That was one of the things I – you know, in watching those Becton clips, mm-hmm. some of the runs he made behind – you know, some of the runs Ty Johnson made behind those guys, I'm like, this guy is – prototypical like what this offense wants and needs so he might turn out to be an absolute monster behind this line so I'm, I'm liking what we're seeing and you you raise a great point though Alex about Jamison Crowder I mean yeah do you do you if you're the Jets do you cut him at this point because you know there are Oof. those who say though there are those who say Crowder is the proven guy and if this, if this is supposed to be all about building around the quarterback, you keep the guy who's, you know, the most proven guy. Right. Especially yeah. if you're not desperate for cap room. The Jets aren't desperate for cap room unless they're looking to sign some of these free agent corners out there. In which case, right. you know, even if they want to sign two of them, then they're in a situation where they're going to need some money. But I don't know. I was, That's I was what dead I was set again. Too, yeah. No, I, yeah, no. Go ahead, go ahead. What were we saying? No, I was thinking the same thing. Is that you know we heard rumors for Richard Sherman, and you know he's not going to come with a you know team discount. Why would he? Um, even though you know he may be you know best buds with Robert Soller, we have no idea. But uh, yeah, that that's what I was basically more or less thinking. Like if there's a corner out there, you know, a lot of Jet fans talked about this Steve Nelson guy from the Steelers, you know. Apparently he hasn't signed because the offers haven't been good enough in his his mind, and uh, he tweeted that the other day. But you know I can't imagine sure. With you know Zach Wilson and, and the Jets, so you know that's kind of more or less where I was thinking is that if there's a big defensive player you know, one last big ticket that you can sign for the defense, that I could see maybe being the decision maker on, on Crowder. But I agree. I mean, we've seen what this team looks like on paper, and then when we're looking at this roster, uh, you know, a few days before week one, it's completely different. So, you know, maybe they're going to continue to hold on to their strength because I do feel that offensively their strength is their wide receiver group right now at this point, you know, more than the, the running back room and more so than the tight end room at this point. So, yeah, yeah and agree, the, you know, the thing, you know, the, stay strong. The thing with Elijah Moore, yeah. as much as, you know, the, the numbers show that, you know, the last couple of years he's got more receiving yards out of the slot than any receiver in, in college football, which is fine, but that guy, as far as he, he can play on the outside, he doesn't have yeah. to be a slot guy. And I don't know, like, yeah, there's that part of me that says, like, I've been 100% in the camp of keep Crowder. You don't need the cap space. Keep him. If you need cap space, make it work somewhere else. Um, and I still kind of I, – I don't feel as strongly about it now because you've added Davis, because you've just drafted more. But I'm looking at it and I'm saying, listen, how, how great would it be to have all those guys on the field, you know, when you go five wide? Like, it's, it's, it's 2021. It's time for this team to, to enter this millennium and start putting multiple dynamic playmakers on the field because that's what all the best teams do. And if, if you, you've got Davis, who's a guy who can, you know, beat you up physically in the run game, who can beat you, you know, if you're going to throw the ball up and into double coverage, he's a guy who can go up and get it. Same goes for Denzel Mims. Not, probably not as strong, but absolutely as capable of, of going up and getting the ball. And then with with Crowder and Moore underneath, and <clears throat> listen, I just I would, I guess it's one of those. It's kind of like similar. It's similar to how I felt with the second first round pick. I don't feel like they can go wrong here. I don't feel like keeping Crowder would be bad. I'd be all for it. But at the same time, if you move on from him because it means you can bring in a corner, then I'm I'm fine with that too. 
Um, Steve Nelson's an interesting mm-hmm. one. I just feel like – I always feel like these guys – like when you play a premium position and you say, you know, if you don't give me more money, I'm going to go. If your team is like, yeah, you can go. Like, yeah. like that, that's, that's surprise number one. Like, really? You just released a starting corner? And then you hit the market, and you're out there for a few months, and nobody's paying you what you think you're worth? Like, that's red flag number two. Like, if you're a team in the market for a corner like the Jets, I would imagine if a guy was out there who is as good as Steve Nelson thinks he is, I would have thought a deal would have been done by now. But here yeah. you are. Your, your team was happy to let you walk, and now nobody wants to pay you. So I'm not. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying, how you know? I, I hear that something's from people. off here. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear. You know, I hear from people whenever I talk about free agency. Oh, the Jets signed this guy. Jets signed that guy. And there's always like those fans that are like, Oh, why do we want to sign another team's trash? If they let him walk, he must suck. Firing contract is different. Like that's a deal where they can be like, Look, we're kind of budgeting for you know to address these positions this year, so we're going to let this guy walk. It's different. Like he was on the team under contract. And he was like, I want to go. And they were like, see ya. So that, to me, yeah, it's a little worrisome. I'm not, you know, I don't know what the deal is, but. And then the Richard Sherman situation, <clears throat> he's a guy, we've talked about it before, has lived on and yeah. played on the West Coast his whole life. I've heard a few different people say it. No way he'll come out east. No way he'll come out east. But, you know, again, if the offer is right, and, he, you know, he does, he has spoken very highly of Robert Sala. So maybe that, you know, that comes to fruition. But there are some options there. There are some players there to be had. I think the Jets right now are about $26 million under the cap. They're projecting about $12 million mm-hmm. for the rookies, which leaves them with, you know, another $12, 13000000 million. Um, well, even less than that because teams do, you know, as we always mention, teams like to go into the season with, you know, 4 $5 million in, in breathing room under the cap in case they have to make a move in season. So that would put the Jets at about yeah. 8 $9 million. That's one corner. Like, if you want Sherman or Nelson, right. like, they're going to eat up pretty much all of that. So that's where I look at it and say, I think Alex Lewis will be gone by the time the season starts. And I think Jamison Crowder, if they go get a corner, has a chance to be gone before the season starts. But, yeah. um, but either way, man, it's, uh, listen, the, the Jets, they've, they've added some players. I mean, these should be. <clears throat> and, again, you know, what the hell is going to happen? We don't know. But the, the, the top four guys should all be guys who, who start, you know, right away. They could all be day one starters, um, and I'm not sure, like, you know, quality starters. I'm not sure when the last time yeah. the Jets did that in a draft. Um, and that, is well, it overly optimistic? Perhaps. But as I said, the top three guys are guys that are consensus first-round talents. And then the fourth guy is a running back who is – you know, average like 8.9 a carry at a major university yeah. and is going to be playing yeah. behind a much improved offensive line. So I don't see why all four guys couldn't start. And uh, if, if you're a Jets fan and you feel like you got four guys who can do that, who can step in and start, then that's that's a, a pretty good haul because that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and it was funny because I wanted to, to take a look and, and, you know, being that there wasn't a real NFL combine here, I wanted to take a look at the 40 times. Because, you know, something that, um, you know, it's kind of like Elijah has, like, you know, looks like at certain plays he's the fastest guy on the field. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you know with Carter, you know, not exactly explosive speed, but I think he's, you know. No, he's 4.5, 4.50, I think. It's going to play. Yeah, his speed will play. Yeah. It's not like he's going to be, you know, running in sand. But, it, you know, as I'm looking at the NFL – dot com draft profiles here where I was anticipating to see those in that information and yeah you know COVID you know has came into play here. right but uh, the the comp that they give which for both of these players is pretty pretty interesting and I'm not usually a big comp guy I know some people like that mm-hmm. but uh, the NFL comparison that they gave for Elijah Moore was Antonio Brown now I mean I, you know I heard little, a few people say that. eyebrow raising there. <laughs> and yeah. you know what, the short area quickness and the able the ability to separate and, you know, he's not a big body receiver. And, you know, those are a lot of the things that you can kind of say that Antonio is. And, you know, will he go out and catch 120 passes in the season? No, I can't tell you that he's going to do that. But, hey, if this guy ends up even being a poor man's Antonio Brown, 
uh, I'm happy with that. And which really, really, you know, should leave fans comfort, Jets fans comfortable is the comp for Michael Carter was, is Bilal Powell. So I yeah, thought that I was saw pretty that. intriguing. Um, you know, I kind of felt like Bilal was a little bit more elusive um, with the way that he could stack his, you know, cuts and moves and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, I think Carter's going to be a good fit here. You know, one cut and go, get up the field, grab as many yards as you can. And then, you know, if he finds a lane, he'll he'll kick it into another gear. Um, but I just thought that was that was quite interesting how Bilal Powell's name was, was listed there. And, hey, you know, I don't think there's a fan in today's day and age that can't say, you know, you don't have a soft place in your heart for a Bilal Powell. Yeah, I got to tell you, uh, that was that was one of those things. Uh, I saw the Antonio Brown comp, and I went and looked at some of his stuff. I, he, he's nowhere near as big as I thought he was. I thought Antonio Brown was a much bigger guy. Um, and maybe it's yeah, just because he puts up the big numbers. Big. You just you just mm-hmm. kind of have in your mind, you know, that the, these guys put up these huge numbers. Like, I'm like, oh, he's got to be like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, right? And what is he, like 5'11", 6' foot? I, I was – Really surprised by five, that. Ten. Um, so he, he, he's, a, he's like an intro. Okay, yeah, I, you know, I nearly said 5'10". I'm more. like, no, that's in my imagination. He's not that small. So even though I looked the mm-hmm. other day at what his height was, I'm sitting here going, you know, he, he's got to be bigger than 5'10". So, yeah, 5'10". Yeah. Like, I, I, was, I was like, Jesus, if you would have asked me, how tall is Antonio Brown? I would have said 6'1", 6'2". Um, right. You just big, big-time big players play big. You just In your mind, a big guy. Um, so, yeah, I saw that's that comp. Another comp... Another comp I saw, which, again, I wouldn't mind, didn't have the best attitude, not that Antonio Brown did, um, but um, uh, what's uh, Jackson, what's the first name? I almost said Vincent, not Vincent Jackson, uh, for the, the Eagles receiver for so many years. Oh, Deshaun Jackson? Was that it? Des- yeah, Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun, I mean, yeah, the burner, you know, yeah. like I said, as I've said, I used to live near Philly, so I saw quite a bit of him. That guy was, that guy was a monster. You felt like he had a 60-yard touchdown catch every week. Um, and right. nobody could catch him. So uh, those were the two comps I heard, Antonio Brown and Deshaun Jackson. Um, and I'm just going to have to go and, okay. those double moves, oof, Lord, you, yeah. you better have some good track speed because if you, you, as they say, if you take the cheese on an Elijah Moore head fake or shoulder, you know, he does, he does, he's got very, very good body language. That's the one thing that I, I kind of noticed. Um, the way he runs routes, he really puts a lot – of thought into it. Um, I like wide wide receivers that have a plan at the line of scrimmage. You know, some guys just, you know, get off the line of scrimmage because they're big, they're physical, and the guys in front of them just can't can't handle them. But when you're a smaller guy like him, it's like you have to do a little bit more than the other guy to to get open. And you see that. You know, you see the, the little head fake and the shoulder fake and, you know, receiver. I mean, cornerbacks will open up their 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 hips to the inside or to the outside, and that's what he wants you to do, so that he can plant, cut, and then go the opposite direction. And now there's a good three, four yards of separation, and that's all you yep. really need to do for your for your quarterback to to you know make a play. And um, you know you can see the football IQ, his spatial awareness when he's running, you know crossing routes coming through traffic, and he sees that the defense is in a zone he'll cut his route short and sit in an area where his quarterback can find him. Those are the type of receivers that you need, you know, and I think that that was one thing that Sam struggled with is that he had okay receivers, but these guys stuck to the plan. And then there was only a few that would seem to be benefactors to his improvisation, namely Robbie Anderson and sometimes Jason Crowder. But now you have a little bit, better targets out there, guys that, you know, have worked with mobile quarterbacks like a Corey Davis. So, you know, now we're looking at a different type of caliber wide receiver group. And, you know, this might, these guys might have what it takes to, you know, complement the play style of Zach Wilson. So, you know, again, um, pretty, pretty excited about these, these weapons. Yeah, it's, it's, it should be, you know, and you mentioned the you know the the stuff that the, the weapons Sam Darnold had to work with. You know, and, you know he had like uh, you had Curse who had a nice year the year before Darnold started or the year before Darnold got there. You know, it's Robbie, and you just 
you kind of these guys have like moments or stretches where they look good for a few games, and you're like, all right, you know, this, this is a guy that you know they can work with, and this is a guy who'll get better. And <clears throat> I don't know. I just and, and I said it, I said it a couple months ago, um, and that's why I'm so happy with the approach they took. I'm just I'm tired of the, uh, you know, and I've always I've always kind of defended it because I do understand, and I've I've said a million times, you're not going to have 53 All Pros, you're not going to have 53 Pro Bowlers. And fans lose their minds when teams sign like an average player. And I say all the time, like, there are a lot of average players on every single NFL team. Some guys a little above, some guys a little below, but not every guy is a superstar and not every guy is trash. Like, and I, I do feel that way, but I feel like the Jets for so many years, it was a lot of, like, just, you know, trying to get by. Let's get by with this guy. Let's get by with that guy. Let's, you know, let's draft this guy and we'll get by, we'll get by. And... Joe Douglas just basically said, "We're not getting by. We're getting, we're drafting an elite tackle, and then this year we're drafting the best interior lineman in the, in the draft, and then instead of taking another defensive lineman, we're drafting a top twenty wide receiver or top twenty player at wide receiver. Like it, it's a matter of just not settling and not not saying, well, we can live with Alex Lewis because he's not the worst player in the league." And GVR did show improvement down the stretch, which he did do, you know. So we'll make that work, and we'll we'll draft a couple of you know developmental linemen in the sixth round. No, and I said it, I said it to you last year, Alex, and I I felt the same way this year. That's why I wanted Tevin Jenkins. I last year when they took Beckton, I just instantly was like, let's rebuild what they had when this team was good. And I said it on Twitter the other day. This team, <clears throat> I've said it a few times over the years. This team. It's, it, it feels like a million years ago, and even though the league has changed a fair bit since then, it, it was still a passing league back then. The, the Jets almost went to the Super Bowl with a quarterback who completed 52% of his passes and threw 12 touchdowns. 12 mm. touchdowns with basically a 50% completion percentage, and it was all possible not just because of the defense, because obviously they had you know one of top three defense, that offensive line could mask the quarterback's atrocious play by going out there and saying, you know what, our QB sucks, we got to run for two hundred today, and they would do it. And I yeah, once they, they drafted Beckton, I flashed back to that, and I was like, stop screwing around, grab linemen, draft dudes who can just push guys out of the way, and if your quarterback is slumping, you can lean on the run game. You know, but of course that was when the when the quarterbacks were terrible. Now you have a quarterback who, and you know, we've talked about him in nauseum. But you know, what, it's funny. One thing that I, I, you know, I've noticed about Wilson, but probably didn't mention it as much. But I watched one throw the other day. I can't even remember remember who it was against. Um, but it was like a twenty yard touchdown strike on a line, and this kid's release is so quick, like that to me. Was, and I should have mentioned it more because that to me was sort of one of the biggest differences between him and Fields. Like Fields to me on a lot of balls have like this big windup, whereas I'm watching Zach Wilson throw a touchdown pass the other day on a rope that was a millisecond, and I'm like that guy doesn't need that extra half second to wind up to, to get ready to let it rip. It just comes out, and so there are so many things he does well that you know it shouldn't be another case of well, let's build a great line because the quarterback sucks and we got to find a way to – no. Like, he's got the tools to be great. Now let's build the O-line. So while he develops – because, listen, uh, you know, Charlie Weiss said the other day, and I said this for years about Brady, and one of the things that made Brady and the Patriots so frustrating in the early years when they were winning Super Bowls is they would dink and dunk you to death. Tom Brady would throw nine screen passes in a game, and the Patriots are so well coached that the blocking was phenomenal – and those nine screen passes would generate 130 yards, 140 yards of offense. And that was half your offensive plan was screens and quick slants. And it wasn't until down the line when he, as he got better, you know, again, what did I say earlier? Teams don't always do what seems logical or simple. And Charlie Weiss was talking about, you know, when you draft a kid, find out the, the few things he's really good at and do that a lot while he gets better at the other stuff. And that's what we did with Brady. We let him dink and dunk for a few years till he developed the other parts of his game. 
And I think that the Jets, with this quarterback and with the supporting staff they're building around him, I think they have a chance to, to do something special. And it's a, you know, it, it's a matter of, of whether or not LaFleur is the real deal. And, and I don't know about you, Alex, but yeah. the, you, you made a really good point when Rich called in a few weeks ago about how do we know this is going to be the San Francisco offense? How do we know it's not going to be the Green Bay offense? Um, right. What would you guess in terms of that? Because that's a really, I think, an important conversation that people aren't having. Yeah, you know, I continue to think about, you know, the things that we're, we're going to bring to the table. And, you know, now I'm trying to piece together the type of, you know, the arsenal that we have offensively. And, you know, you have a perimeter wide receiver that works the boundary well and can stretch the field with the Denzel Mims. You have a physical wide receiver who's a, probably your biggest body receive, you know, in the receiver group in Corey Davis who's more of a yak, yards-after-catch guy. So he'll be working more intermediate um, aspects of the field, but he does have that ability, you know, to stretch as well. Not as, you know, we haven't seen it as much as, you know, what we saw in college for Mims. And then you have the guys that work between the traffic in uh, Moore and Crowder. So, you know, I believe that there's going to be a, a mix of some of the concepts that was used in BYU, which was more of a spread offense. Um, there was a variance of, you know, a power run scheme. Um, I don't, you know, I think that we have the personnel to, to you know, implement a power run scheme because, you know, we've got a really good blocking tight end uh, in Chris Herndon, and we brought in Tyler Croft, um, who, who might be the best blocking tight end in the group. And then, you know, Wesco, we kind of feel he might be the fullback of this offense if there is going to be some, you know, some sprinkled-in Shanahan stuff here. So maybe Wesco gets another opportunity to try to do something because he's been pretty uh, – I don't know if you want to say he's been missing in action or just wasn't utilized right because of Gase, you know, could be a mix of all those things. But, um, yeah, you know, I anticipate, you know, with some of the runners that we have, which is, you know, a P. Ryan and, and Carter, I think that they, they do well working off the outside. So maybe there will be some outside zone schemes for those kind of runners. So I do feel that Carter does okay in between the tackles. I don't think he provides as much power as you would see from, you know, a back that's 220 to 230 pounds. He's more around the 210 mark, you know, which is fine. And, you know, he's a little bit undersized. I think he's like, you know, 5'8 or something like that. So, you know, people say he might be too small, but I tend to think of like the Warwick Dunn and the um, Maurice Jones-Drews of the world where those guys are hard to find behind the big offensive linemen. Yep. And, you know, they can – they're there one second, and next thing you know, he's at the second level making a move against the linebacker, you know, and getting upfield. Uh, so, you know, I'm very, very intrigued to see, you know, are we going to see, you know, some RPO stuff? You know, how much is that going to anticipate? And I think that, you know, the – like you said, let's not try to score a touchdown on every every play. Let's build something and let's develop – Zach in the right manner, you know, let him build his confidence with, you know, some, some easy throws here and there. And then as the defense tries to tighten up things, then we can try to, you know, take our shot. So the, the offense and, and how we're, this is going to be deployed. I think that's the biggest mystery on this team. Um, you know, we can speculate from what we've seen in the San Francisco defense on, on what to expect here with, you know, wide nine and four two fronts and four three formations and a variation of cover three defense. And, you know, there, there might be some sprinkled in cover twos, but we might be seeing more single high and cover three formations than, than, than cover two like we saw last year with, uh, you know, Greg Williams' uh, style of defense. So, yeah, I think the big mystery this year is how is this offense, what is it going to look like, you know, how quickly can they implement these things and, you know, how quickly is it going to take Zach Wilson and all these young guys to get on the same page and, and start clicking. It may not happen right away, but I do think, like you said, do it the right way, you know, death by a thousand cuts. 
I have no problem having 10, 11, 12 play, you know, series that end with field goals. You know, eventually they're going to turn into touchdowns. So, you know, that's, that's how I feel. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with what you're saying, you know, in, in that aspect. All right. Well, Alex, uh, speaking of doing it the right way, if you are a business owner looking to find a better way to manage your social media platforms, do it the right way by contacting our sponsor, Mile Social. Mile Social, M-I-L-E Social.com. Give them a look. They can help you out with all of your social media platforms, be it Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, uh, whatever else may be out there. If you want to get uh, more people through your doors and more money in your pockets, check out Mile Social. That's M-I-L-E Social.com, Mile Social. Uh, Alex, that'll about wrap it up for us tonight. We we didn't want to do the full draft, folks, because we uh, – if we do the full draft and the undrafted guys, we're looking at like 20 guys in just over an hour. So we'd rather yeah. uh, attack that a little bit later. And a couple of these guys, to be honest, Alex, uh, uh, especially the undrafted guys and one or two of the picks, I, I didn't watch a lot of before the draft. Some of these guys, I didn't want like Jordan Peters out of Auburn. Don't recall seeing him. Uh, we got to find out the status on the, the Mustafa Johnson, who I mentioned earlier out of Colorado. Uh, Jason Pinnock out of Pitt. I didn't watch him at all um, leading up to the draft. And uh, Brandon yeah. Eccles out of Kentucky, I think I saw him because I watched, I watched mm-hmm. Kentucky-Florida, and I watched that game a couple times. Um, but I was watching more. I was watching Joseph on the other side uh, more so than Eccles, but the Jets are supposedly very high on him. Uh, Jamie and Sherwood, mm-hmm. I recall, because I watched a lot of Auburn this year, uh, mainly because I liked the receivers. I liked, uh, I liked Schwartz and Williams, yeah. um, and they just happen to play a lot of other teams. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I just happened to watch a lot of other teams they played. So I, I think I watched more of Auburn than anyone this year. So I saw a little bit of Jamie and That's Sherwood. That's who I really thought. Uh, say I that thought again? Schwartz was going to be the guy. I, th- I really thought Schwartz was going to be the guy that yeah. they were going to take in that mid to late round because they did bring yeah, him in for the guy that, or they did something virtual, you know. And, yep. and it does seem, if you look at the list that we put out a couple weeks ago, they did pluck um, – I think a few of those guys that was on that list. So I don't know if that's really, you know, spilling the beans on their plan, but there's a reason why you get <clears> those visits <throat> and those things. And, you know, some of those guys, they knock those interviews out the park and that's why they end up getting picked like, like a Christian Hackenberg per se. So, um, well, Hey, listen, you know, yeah, you know, uh, I had a conversation and I think it's been reported since then, but I had a conversation with uh, somebody with the jets and we talked about, um, why Why the Jets who, – who was the receiver I, – I always forget who it was. He went to Denver. The receiver they took – or the receiver they didn't take when they took Stephen Hill. Who was it again? The guy ended up – was, was, was it the Marius Thomas? Sanders, was it? What's that? Emmanuel Sanders? Was it Emmanuel no, Sanders? No, no, no. I, I, no, well, I can't remember. Anyway, it was, it was, a, it was a big deal because a lot of Jets fans wanted the, the guy the Jets didn't take. The Jets took Stephen Hill. Mm. Um, I talked to someone with the team about that and just, you know, kind of how did that come about? And they said that Stephen Hill just absolutely knocked his interview out of the park. His face that like came suit and tie, just conducted himself like a, like a mature. They were just like, this is a guy you want in your locker room, takes this seriously, pays attention to detail. And the guy they didn't take, uh, who I'll remember later, I'll, I'll be pissed off. He ended up being, not Demarius Thomas. Who was the other receivers? Demarius Thomas and someone else in Denver. Um, like well, they, superstar. I'm trying to think of that. Demarius Thomas. Anyway, he. Sanders. Uh, I know Decker was there he, for short. No, it wasn't Decker. It wasn't Decker. He, he came across like a complete, what would you say, unprofessional. He walked out of there and just yeah. like, no way. This, this guy is not treating this like it matters. Um, we're, we're not taking this guy. And then Stephen Hill blew him away. Um, and it just goes to show, man, some of these guys, you know, there's that legendary Dion story with the Giants where he walked out of the interview because they wanted him to do their questionnaire, which is like a thousand questions long. And he was like, where are you guys picking? Oh, no, I'll be gone by then. See ya. And he left. <laughs> and he was right. Like, he didn't need them. So, anyway, wow. that'll wrap it up for us this week. Alex, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We will be back next week talking defense, and covering some or all of the undrafted guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great night, everybody. 
Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!